Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Isaac Kenyon is a British eco-adventurer and international keynote speaker who has undertaken world record achievements while raising money and awareness for charities with the teams he assembles. He's rode 3,000 miles unsupported across the Atlantic Ocean, completing a full Ironman with a 15-kilogram weighted vest and cycled from the Orkney Islands to the Isles of Scilly through many of the 15 UK national parks. With a Geoscience Master's degree, a Fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and Trustee of Mind Mental Health Charity, he connects the planet and well-being. Isaac lost a male friend to suicide during his time at university, an event that profoundly impacted him and fueled his commitment to mental health advocacy. He has also faced his own anxiety and panic disorder, even experiencing suicidal thoughts. Isaac states his purpose is clear, creating a positive impact. He founded Climate Explorers, a B Corporation uniting adventure, well-being and sustainability leadership. As a speaker, he transforms organisations into high-performing, sustainable powerhouses, valuing mental well-being for extraordinary results. Welcome to the podcast, Isaac. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for having me. I like the uh, intro, I guess. <laughs> but, but I can't fit everything in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who do a bit (laughs) and you're so young I don't want to be really patronizing but you've done all this and you're way younger than me (laughs) um yeah 29 29 at the moment oh um and there's a whole new world record that you did at the weekend that we didn't I didn't put in there but we've just been chatting about so what have you just come from and how's recovery from that going yeah um so this weekend on Friday um I started rowing at 7 a.m with a team of three um, Alex and Graham, they were my teammates. We did a 30 hour continuous indoor row, um, where on shifts of one hour on repeat. So each person took an hour and then we'd have two hours off. And we were raising awareness of men's mental health, the symbolic message of sometimes when you are trapped in your own mind, when you're going through really bad spells of mental health, it can be quite overwhelming especially if you have no support network we haven't opened up so you feel like a bit of a prisoner in your own mind and on an indoor rowing machine if you're giving yourself the target of a continuous row for 30 hours it does feel like you're a prisoner to the rowing machine and you're kind of trapped on on that machine but the difference was we had a team there were three of us and we were openly discussing how we felt and how things were going and supporting one another and that's what got us through to the other side and we wanted to translate that message this weekend to a message that even if you're on your own, fighting your own mental health struggles, can find in someone, speak up. And it's a courageous act. You know, it's not a sign of weakness. It's, it's something I would say is special. You know, you are special and strong and courageous to open up about your mental health because you're no good to anyone if you're um, in a bad mental health state or yourself. So if you can get support, you can make a good impact and also enjoy life a bit more. So that was the weekend's message and that was the weekend's event. So I was in a gym. Uh, It was Robots uh, Gym, which is a rowing gym, which 
a lot of people say rowing gym, like specific re-rowing. But yeah, yeah, it was a gym specifically around rowing. And uh, we were in there for 30 hours. <laughs> they had sessions on that had, you know, personal trainers that were also trained in, I think, DJing, because there was a lot of sessions that revolved around sort of DJ sets as well as personal training at Together. Are you sure you uh, weren't very... like hallucinating with the sleep deprivation or something? This sounds really unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. It was just, it was a bit of a mad uh, experience. Uh, it did finish at 8 p.m. on the Friday night. So overnight it was very quiet. So it was really weird <laughs> to have gone from this nightclub basically to silence overnight. And then the nightclub came back on Saturday morning. To, and then we finished at 1 p.m. on the Saturday. But yeah, fantastic to have uh, achieved the record um, and really pleased to have had so much uh, support from press releases. I mean, we, we were mentioned across the world, Canada, Australia, all over the UK, all the, the big you know newspapers, Daily Mail and Evening Standard and things like that, TV interviews. It was a really good um, message that went far and wide. And we really are thankful for it and it was for the Movember Foundation no one in this uh, podcast will see this but we've got uh, I've got a, a moustache and uh, <laughs> I'll have to draw one on the, the photo greatest, greatest achievement <laughs> yeah it's bigger achievement than the row <laughs> <laughs> oh what a fantastic achievement so well done on that and also what a great message to be spreading although I sometimes feel it's frustrated that we we still have to be talking about this so much like do you have hope do you have optimism that things are changing and there's less stigma particularly for males but for people to talk about their mental health and also seek help oh yeah yes definitely so when I was at school I didn't know what mental health was it was never discussed and school was only 10 10 15 years ago so even from today I I am I'm a keynote speaker I, I I go talk to schools the kids are very aware what mental health means and what it is. So that's a massive step. You know, when I was at school, it was very much, you're a bit stressed, you're a bit tired, go to sleep, or you're not eating enough. And it was never really discussed mental health as, a, as an issue. And then I would say in businesses, you're now seeing head of well-being as a job title or people who are dedicated to and it's, I'm not saying this in every company, usually the corporations that have 50 or so more employees, they have someone who's dedicated to well-being. Usually that used to be lumped on human resources, but now there's actual specific areas, which is in some ways is good, but also it highlights there's a problem. Um, yeah. What I think has been really interesting and what I'm really optimistic about is that everyone is aware more than ever what mental health is. But the difference I've found now is that, you know, the awareness piece is done. Now I think it's about ingraining a preventative culture around supportive mental health. So I'm a trustee for the mental health charity Mind, which is a, a global, uh, not a global, a national charity for mental health within the UK. And that charity is dedicated to providing services specifically around prevention of poor mental health. And what we're finding um from from our sort of statistics and research that there are more and more referrals coming in for poor mental health like growing referrals but this is good because this is a sign of people know there's a mental health issue so whereas before you wouldn't get that many referrals probably because people were hiding or not sharing that they had a mental health issue and not willing to get support 
now we're having the op- like another effect where there's so many so much demand but what the issue is there's not enough resources money and people to provide that support to those people who need it so there's waiting lists that could be you know six seven months now for someone who's got suicidal ideation which is terrible you know within a couple weeks that person could try and take their own lives which is horrendous i think in this country and um, we, we do do need to step up so i think I'm optimistic that the awareness piece is done almost not quite still still a little bit of stigma going on there but I do believe that now the next stage is activation which is essentially getting the resources in place so that we can start being preventative around mental health can we change our culture and that takes money and that takes time and that takes expertise but we do need to start changing our culture around well-being it's not just about physical well-being it's about mental well-being and it's going to take a lot of i guess open conversations like this but advocacy as well like i'm doing right now to 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 get us over over that hurdle at the moment so i feel like we're just we've gone over one hurdle which is kind of awareness and now we're kind of striding for the next awareness and uh, activation hurdle um, and i think that's that's where we're at yeah Oh, thank you for putting that so succinctly that, and it really needs to be a priority, isn't it? For those people that need help, we want that in hours, not months. <laughs> yeah, we do. I mean, when I was had a suicidal ideation, yeah, I would, like my stomach would just sink at the thought of thinking that I'm not going to get support for six months. Can I live like this for six months? I, it's just horrendous. So fortunately, I was able to find other outlets that helped me, but not everyone gets that. Yeah. So I was just going to say that you've obviously had mental health struggles of your own in the past. What what did that look like for you at the time? So I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the past. I do deal with them pretty daily. Mm -hmm. They haven't left me. Um, I'm just better at understanding myself and what I need to do to kind of keep myself in a good state of of well being. And when I wasn't aware or had any mental health tools or training or education it was um a a very scary time so um about sort of 15 years ago was my first sort of adventure into the world of mental health (laughs) i call it (laughs) because it has become a a lifelong journey which i'm on um of supporting and improving my well-being I, i i didn't know what mental health was at this time i was pretty much just 17 18 years old uh, sort of teenage going into university and I was very much an anxious child from you know I used to worry a lot anyway so I already had a predisposition maybe for anxiety which came afterwards where I didn't realize I had a mental health issue was when someone said to me I think you're stressed out I think you should stop doing and um, the work you're doing and just have a chill out and I thought okay so I'm stressed so I didn't think I had a mental health issue for a very long time and I started listening to that feedback all the time so I just stopped what I did but I started worrying more and more and as the time went on I started to get I guess a manifestation of panic disorder and that was where I started getting these heart palpitations. 
And it was only at the physical sensation that I realized, okay, you know, this is something's wrong. But that was only because I thought I was having a heart attack. Now I wasn't. So I went, I went to the GP and I said, look, I'm getting these like stabbing shooting pains in my chest. I literally can't sleep. It wakes me up out of my sleep. I can't concentrate at work. I, I get sweaty and feel like I'm, you know, about to, you know, die or something. I was feeling like that, like doom, doom, you know. And it was literally um, the heart palpitations that come from anxiety, heightened cortisol levels. And at the time, I thought it was something else. So the GP said, I think there's a bit more going on than heart attack because you you definitely wouldn't be here right now <laughs> if it was a heart attack so I, I i started laughing thinking yeah because what what people would i spoke to someone else about it and they said yeah, yeah it's definitely not a heart attack i don't know what it is but you should get it checked out and then they said yeah this is anxiety um you need to get support so then we went down this whole referral process and eventually it came to anxiety disorder and um and it was yeah just a scary time I think at that at that moment it was a very scary time but also it was a time where I had to accept that this is something that may not go away it has gone away for years and years and it has come back occasionally but most of the time I know what I'm doing I know how to create a lifestyle that stops the anxiety coming in but it's been very much a journey and the frequency of me getting panic disorder or anxiety symptoms have been very very little since having changed my lifestyle but it was it seems lifestyle induced soon as i start doing what i was doing back then where i was on screens all the time i was very unhealthy with my lifestyle in terms of spending a lot of time on social media i was very, very um concerned about the outcomes of my grades more than the process of actually enjoying what I was doing I was concerned that I might not get the grades which means I might not get a job which means I might not get any money which means I might be homeless you know there's all this stuff going on in my mind and all of this was something that from a mental health perspective researching and going through the science and also talking to lots of experts are very negative things to be thinking about at that time and also very negative lifestyle you know i used to eat takeaways because i wanted to be more productive so i didn't want to waste time cooking so i'd eat unhealthily you know it's just silly things oh i will sleep less because then i can get more work done and it the cycle continued nowadays i don't live like this anymore so i've never had that issue of heart palpitations or feeling worried anymore because i'm getting adequate sleep i'm eating healthy i'm listening to my body and giving it what it needs but that's been you know a journey that's taken a long time to get out of and i always get this sort of feeling of issues that i was coming from you know were they from myself and my lifestyle or was it from a society that has created almost a picture of a lifestyle that we need to live and upon reflection how i live my life today is very against how society wants you to live and my decisions are not necessarily in line with what instagram would want or, or what the marketing is shouting at me and since i changed to go against the grain things have gotten a lot better but i was very much you know study 
get the grades, go to university. You know, I want to get a house. I want a stable job. You know, all these things had a lot of pressure. And these were outcomes. And I was so focused on that. But it wasn't really what I wanted. It was kind of what I was being brainwashed from a very young age. Is what society wanted, not what I wanted. So I wasn't speaking to, to the truth to myself. And I think that might be why, you know, my mental health went a bit haywire. Um, but now it's, it's a lot better since I changed my lifestyle and my way of thinking. Yeah. So it is a combination of so many things. It's not just one change that you did. You touched on some of them. You said about improving your diet and, and what else, what other changes have you made that have been really beneficial to you? The key change that I always speak about is my indoctrination to nature, <laughs> if I call it that. Um, my reconnection, um, that, that really was the biggest change. So there was, there was a very clear penny drop moment where I was walking um, to and from uh, this area where I used to study in, in my university. There was a section of the walk which went through some woods. And I kid you not, it was a highlight of every day, just doing 15 minutes of walking that woods. And I used to purposely want to always walk in this woods because I hated everything else that I was doing, but I loved that wood, woodland. And on re you know, reflection, it was because that woods is not asking anything from me. It doesn't want anything. It has not got expectations on me. It wasn't, it was just giving. It was simply going, enjoy the sounds, enjoy the rustle, the leaves. Here's a squirrel. <laughs> you know, here's a, here's a bird. It's, isn't it beautiful? Like, enjoy enjoy the day whilst everything else wanted something something from me so i really enjoyed that moment and then i spoke to someone i confided saying i really enjoyed nature i like the nature walk they said to me when i was in a very bad state because i i was seriously um thinking you know suicidal ideation one of these days i was really at my wits end with it all and i thought oh, god he said to me just go on a long walk in where you like the nature as far as you can go just keep going 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 just keep going and i walked for seven hours um through fields you know along rivers forests whatever and through that walk was just this sheer unbelievable joy that i was getting where you know my racing thoughts they just disappeared i was able to sort of sense and be in a place and a moment of time where I was like happy and I hadn't been happy like that for years. And that was kind of the moment where I thought, I need this. I want this, but I need it more than I want it. And it was basically nature healing me in some way. And um, there was a time where I walked back from that, that woodland walk and in the, in the, in the university where I was thinking, you know, I'm intrigued to experiment. I want to, understand this a bit more so i did a bit more research and i decided i'm going to try and incorporate nature into my life a bit more but also you know it's not just about me taking from nature i i, I do want to give back to it as well so i want to advocate for its pre preservation too which is why i do a lot of sustainability advocacy as well because i want to protect what protects me and every single day i try to get out in the outdoors as best as i can and one way I love to do it is through sport. And I like to get involved in lots of sports and do outdoor sports. So I set myself these big audacious challenges, um, partly because 
when I have an audacious challenge, it requires a lot of preparation. It requires a lot of interaction and contact time with that sport. So it actually creates a regular lifestyle. I, I have to change my lifestyle to hit that that big outdoor challenge goal. I have to get outdoors regularly doing that sport and practicing that sport. So it gets me in that good place. So I have always made these these challenges. And I, I know there are some for some people crazy, some of those challenges that I do, you know, heard in the intro I did a three thousand nautical mile Atlantic rowing expedition, but these are the sort of things that I get a lot of joy and flow from, you know, moments of sort of mindfulness and I feel at my best and I don't have the worries and I don't have the anxiety. And I, and it also provides me sort of a balance where I'm working in, you know, my normal day job, but I also can have an outlet and that that's why I do it. And yeah, the outdoors is it. It's really interesting to hear that you get in the flow and find this joy in these huge challenges. Because for me, the thought of rowing across the Atlantic Ocean would be quite anxiety inducing in terms of there's so many risks and so much unknown, whether physically and things outside of my control. Like, which was the, which was the first challenge? And was that a big one that you dived right in? Or did you dip your toe and... <laughs> Do little ones first. I mean, the, yeah. the seven-hour walk was a pretty big challenge, but yeah, which was the yeah. first challenge that you fundraised for and and did? I like how you said dive in, dip, dip, dip my toe in because it was swimming based. Oh, was um, this the channel yeah. one? Yeah, the English Channel was the first. So, well, it is slightly shorter than the Atlantic, so <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, over the years, I've built resilience, and I, I'm sure we'll get to that topic yeah. soon, but. Um, resi- resilience um that that sort of adaptation and reaction to difficult times is something i've 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 built over over years so the challenges have been able to get bigger or smaller you know i'm able to kind of work with each challenge in, in a different way but the english channel was my first one partly because i did have a lot of experience as a swimmer i used to swim competitively from a uh, from a young age and i was able to then translate myself into an outdoor setting so I was like, okay, I want to do sport. I, w- I need to get myself outdoors because it's very good for me and I'm getting a lot out of this. So I need a big challenge that gives me outdoors. Okay, what's not too daunting? Okay, swimming, swimming outdoors, open water swimming. What's like a sort of a biggish challenge that could be open water swimming? I heard about the English Channel before, so I chose that. That was my one. And I said, okay, we'll do that as the first one. And then from there, we went on and did other- others. You did but that it, one it, as, a, as a team, didn't you? It wasn't a solo. Yeah great yeah that one was um was was fantastic because it was also sort of within the team we could work together to build our resilience around sort of the cold water aspect and it's incredible the english channel just puts any swimmer of whatever ability back to square one because you have to swim without a wetsuit and it's freezing cold so you're back to square one Mm. you're not quite you know i guess already prepared for this swim so it took me a lot to um, adjust to that. My first, my first training session was quite a shock. Literally, I'd shock. <laughs> I had a cold water shock that you oh, no. woke me woke me up to the power of nature, and I um, completely thought I could do the training that uh, was set out. I, I read online that you should do about two hours of swimming cold water before you should take on the English Channel or something like this. I read that and I thought, okay, I'm just going to jump in this cold lake and just start swimming for two hours. 
I thought it was that simple. And I guess that was a bit obnoxious. Okay. Should we just do a warning that that is not the way to approach cold water swimming? No, it's not (laughs) the way. Do not try this at home. Yeah, I don't. Honestly, um, (laughs) you should slowly. Yes. (laughs) The water first. Um, I literally went in, dived in, felt like, oh my God, this is seriously uh, cold. And um, I was just very much in cold water shock at that stage. I swam for about 10 minutes based on this sort of adrenaline and then the cold seeped in. Mm. And that was because I hadn't built, you know, the the proteins that are required, that, you know, for cold. You need to build that over time. And so w- what I thought was going to be two hours of chilled out swimming in, in, in an open water lake turned out to be 15 minutes in near hypothermia. Oh. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was an, an eye opener where I believe that you know i needed to to really adjust my my thoughts on this challenge <laughs> big time and it and it opened my eyes um to a whole new world of preparation um getting getting yourself ready and um not not under was it underestimating what you're about to do um i t- i just thought you know i've swam thousands and thousands of meters in a pool i thought i could i'll just do that outside <laughs> That's that's literally my thought process. I mean, I was a how was eighteen at the time, so yeah, that's true. Maybe a bit na- bit naive, but um, I think that some naivety allows us to do these challenges and think of these challenges. I mean, maybe not do, but start the process. If you knew how difficult it was going to be, then maybe you'd have taught yourself out of it before you'd even got it off the ground. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> if you know too much, <laughs> exactly. Because the more you know, the more what ifs scenarios there are. And that, and I, I always think of you know resilience and things like that is what ifs like how do I overcome this how do I overcome that you know, the more you think about the challenge the more difficulties you come up with from your thoughts of the challenge the more what if scenarios you need to deal with the more overwhelming it can become so I guess going in with a naive mind it doesn't feel as uh, scary of, of such um, yeah. which is fine which is fine but also risky and you know I could have. Could have definitely killed myself. Yeah, the jumping in is definitely not a good idea. But I'm guessing after that, you got a bit more informed and and did it in a more sensible way. Yes, definitely. Um, Yeah, we we as a team had um, a lot more coaching um, from people who had done it before. And then from that point, we were able to get ourselves in the right position. And I ended up being sort of the coach of the coach. So I was coached by someone and then I coached everyone else from what I was coached. It was a bit like that because they couldn't necessarily come to all the training sessions. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was a fantastic event. Um, It was the first sort of resilient building event because it was, it was an endurance challenge of such. Um, I I thought it was um, one of those challenges that kind of got me thinking about how do I get myself in a positive state of mind? Because when you're swimming for such a long time, I, I swam for about four hours of the of the twelve. Not everyone was a strong swimmer. When I was doing the swimming part, it was thinking about you know how can I keep myself resilient and strong at the times where a jellyfish comes and hits you, and you're just stung and you've got to keep going. You don't want to one you don't want to let yourself down, but two you don't want to let the team down. But also you're in pain and you're 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 staying, you've been stung by a jellyfish and it's absolutely freezing cold and you've been swimming for one hour without a break or two hours and that's where started the mind game started coming into it. So it was really then where I started to to develop sort of a a different mindset approach and I started to think about vi- visualizing, adapting the way I was thinking, 
positive self-talk and all of these things that kind of got me through it. So tell me, it sounds like we're getting on to your um, your thoughts on resilience, but what, what does resilience mean to you? I see resilience as a reaction and I see it as something you develop, you're not born with. So resilience has been something that I didn't have from a very young age. I, I've had to develop it, hone it. It's kind of a, a, an adaptive skill, but it's, it's kind of a reaction to difficulty. And it's not something that I could teach someone on a podcast about. If you want to know what resilience is, I think you need to get yourself into a difficult position and then work out what helps you get out of that difficult position. I feel resilience is something that happens in the moment of a difficult situation. My resilience has built because I actively seek failure. <laughs> I want to fail. And everyone's like, what do you mean you want to fail? And it's like, the best times of my life have been in the process, not the outcome. I don't, I couldn't care if we succeed or not. I just love doing the process of trying to get to where we, where we want to get to. If we win or we succeed or we break a record, whatever, that's great. But for me, what's more important is getting outdoors, doing the sport, having fun, enjoying the process, overcoming little challenges, you know, small, small milestones and things like that. I enjoyed that. And when I fail, it gives me a moment to reflect and learn. It's like the best feeling in the world. And people just don't get that. Most people don't get that. They're scared of failure. And that's what got, got me a lot of anxiety. When I was 18 years old, I was so scared of failure. Scared of like not going to get a good grades and I'm not going to make it to university and I'm not going to pass down. I'm not going to get the grad job. And it was all this stuff that was just playing on my mind. As soon as I embraced failure, things changed. And that really is sort of my, my view of resilience. So it's definitely something that we can practice by putting ourselves in challenging situations. Is that what, what you're saying? Like, what have you learned from all the challenges that you've put yourself into? Yeah. So one of the, from an endurance perspective, one of the things I've learned is that it actually starts to get quite boring because I'm, I, I've done multiple sports and I do multiple sports because once I have cracked a sport and done it outdoors and done it endurance, it becomes no longer a challenge for me anymore. And at that point, I'm not learning anything anymore. And I'm not building any more resilience because I've already been here. I've already done it. So in my mindset, I'm like, well, I know what I'm going in for. I know what's coming next. It's like watching a film that you've already seen. So I, I feel like you have to kind of, do challenges but it's not just any challenge don't run a, like i don't feel like running a marathon on repeat over and over and over again as you're you know you it'll become very easy and eventually you'll become an expert at it and your resilience won't build because you're not expanding your comfort zone you're not getting any more uncomfortable in fact you're doing it if you do the same thing over and over again you get comfortable doing that and then what happens is it becomes a different board game where your resilience is shrinking if that makes sense because there's no I, yeah. chance of failure is there they just yeah and i feel like my tolerance goes down because i've built up tolerance to that one thing so yeah i i tend to change sports a lot change activity change challenge 
do things that are new. Um, one, it's exciting, keeps me learning. I will fail. I'm happy about that. And the resilience will build. It's, um, yeah, there's so much potential out there. And I mean, it, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be endurance sports, right? So I know we're talking about endurance sports now, but just start drawing. Yeah, You're just trying something new. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, trying something new. Start business. Um, start keynote speaking. I don't know. It's like all sorts of stuff. And it, it just becomes yeah something that builds your resilience from the action of doing and if you do feel that you haven't learned anything or you don't feel uncomfortable doing that it perhaps you know it is not building that sort of resilience that 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 growth mindset but i do feel like it is you know resilience is something that you you can build or you can maintain i think in society we've kind of created a comfort crisis where our resilience is at an all-time low um and everything is just so easy nowadays if you want it to be you could literally sit in front of a screen for the rest of your life in in some of these places you know some countries not all countries but you could you could literally just watch tv all day long and eat and you know everything's very comfortable uh in some cases so i think yeah we, we're in this world where i think resilience needs to kind of be seen as a priority it does come with mental health health i think a lot of people sort of build resilience to deal with poor mental health and vice versa you know resilience um, and mental health i think come in hand in hand yeah you talked about some elements of resilience when you were saying about what you learned from that first challenge that you did you mentioned when it got difficult you use self-talk and the positive mindset adaptability i think you said like are these what you see as elements to creating that resilient reaction yeah definitely i think the reaction is 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 key like instilling a reaction out of yourself and then noting down what worked what was good at that time so uh if for instance you're uh, i i I always bring endurance because that's kind of what i do but it doesn't have to be endurance it could be um some some other type of thing Mm. But in an endurance setting, sometimes when you're doing sport outside, sometimes it can be extremely difficult. And then you just see the most beautiful scene in front of you from nature. And you have this just incredible appreciation for where you are and what you're doing. Despite your legs are in pain, despite maybe you've got a headache or something, you're just there seeing that and then appreciating you know, that in itself and how far you've come, like, wow, I, you know, I came from that distance to see this. I am so lucky to be here. I wanted more of this. I want to do this, this again, sort of thing. And that was really good at building resilience is seeing the positive in the difficult, dark, negative moments. And I've always seen it as an optimist. And um, people will say, oh, Mr. Positive, this guy. Everything's really good with him, isn't it? But I've been to some seriously low places and I've learned to see the good in everything because without being able to see the good in everything, I just got more negative and more worse and my mental health declined further. So I, I actively seek out those good moments or those good good things to appreciate. 
I think. Thank you so much for making me breakfast this morning <laughs> to mum. I was going to say, hi, that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I just said, yeah, not, maybe not to you. <laughs> Actually, that sounded like it could have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the listener, that, that's that an example me. for, you know, for kids listening or something like that. Yeah. I think I think there can be a fine line, though, isn't there, between that positive mindset and looking for the good, which I really agree with you. You know, our brain is wired to look for the threats and the negative. And, and I really think that we can make that conscious choice to be positive. But I suppose where I see it could be problematic is this toxic positivity in that we'll just ignore all the bad stuff, ignore how you're feeling, just think positive thoughts good vibes you'll get better and i it can be a real a real fine line can't it that's why i think i think resilience and stuff like this is reaction Mm. i feel like you shouldn't always be positive positive you know instagram like my life is perfect (laughs) but it's it's not supposed to be like that i think it's supposed to be think positive when there's a hard time coming or when you're in a hard time not like all the time yeah because then you become sarcastic to yourself and no one wants that, not even yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's quite important to yeah, know when to apply these things and be aware of these things. So, oh, it's really difficult. Okay, what can I do now? What, what was good today? Oh, that was good. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly you're smiling. And just those moments when you're in a difficult time, there are a few things you can apply that help build you'll you'll get through those difficult time moments and yeah one of them is definitely the appreciation positive self-talk you know positive affirmations i can do this i will do this we can do this you are great you're awesome you know that sort of thing um saying it out loud i always find is is great but also can be quite alarming for other people um (laughs) i yeah i remember running through wales I, i did a run from north to south of wales um, through some of the peaks um and there was this serious mindset thing because i was on my actual own this time i wasn't in a team it was my first challenge doing it on my own as an experiment i started shouting Pike is just looking at me thinking god this guy's nuts what's wrong with him he's like shouting stuff to him i'm like yes we're gonna do it yes like this when i'm running and like it must be thinking crazy guy but um yeah i think stuff like that but then the other stuff is also, you know, these are big challenges. I quite like breaking them down into very bite-sized pieces. They don't have to be massive challenges. But like, for instance, if you're starting a business, sometimes people think of, I want to be like Elon Musk, be a billionaire. So that's their outcome. And they're looking at their outcome as, as that. And it's like, well, okay, you can have that sky high, you know, that's your, your goal. But then how are you going to get there? And then it's it's like breaking it down, 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 down into the tiniest chunks and then creating yourself like a little bit of an achieve, achievable timeline to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like doing that with the with the outdoor challenges as well and 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 overcoming challenges. Tend to sometimes find it hard if there's, you know, for instance, mental health is an ongoing journey for me. So this is a never-ending challenge, right? So I'm always dealing with my mental health. So that's the biggest challenge of all. All of these Atlantic Road this and whatever, they're very small in comparison to my mental health journey. And I always see this as one massive challenge where I need to break it down and make sure that every day I'm getting what I need to keep my well-being up. So I, I take each day as, as it goes. 
But it sounds like you really believe that by putting yourself, like you've chosen to do these challenges. So you've chosen to put yourself in those hard times, but that's actually something that we can use those experiences and lessons for things that we haven't chosen, like your daily Mm. looking after your mental health. Yeah, totally. I think um, sometimes you get thrown curveballs in life. Life is always changing and adapting. One minute, you know, we were absolutely living normally as a society. The next minute we were closed in lockdown as a pandemic. You know, that that was a huge shift. And being able to have gone through difficult times and know what works for you personally and applying it to those curveball moments where life just throws you stuff. You know, this this has happened to me. I, I've lost close friends. I've lost family members, which I which we didn't expect. It hurt. It really was hard. And, you know, I still to this day feel void when they're gone. But I know some good things to, you know, to keep myself positive and keep myself in a, in a good, re, you know, resilient mindset. And I think that is really important for us to develop because you're not born with this. So, you know, I would love to teach it at school. It has a class. Let's, let's have a resilience building class. Cool. What do you all dread the most? Okay, you dread art lesson. Okay, you're doing art lesson, but your target in the art lesson is to find out how you get through it so that you feel positive at the end of that art lesson. You know, I think that would be really great because then we have a you know a stronger economy of people who are you know better at their own well being. Yes, yeah, it definitely didn't feel like anything that was taught. At my school in fact it was the opposite the kind of competitive winners and losers that was taught um oh, but yeah. that was a while ago so when I was at school one thing that I'm really interested in is that I described you as an eco-adventurer and often I see people doing amazing challenges over the world like maybe they're running a marathon on every continent in seven days or something and you're like i and me personally, I'm not sure I'm comfortable promoting that in terms of uh, the environmental impact. But I know that this is something that obviously that isn't you. That isn't what you've been doing. You've been doing very well. Tell us, tell us what an eco adventure is, and and yeah, yeah, how this, how, what this means for you. Yeah, so eco adventure is 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 just a, a, I guess a new form of adventure. It's not really that new, but people have done it in the past. But the way I do it is definitely novel. And it's doing an adventure with environmental responsibility. So you do it as sustainably as possible. You do it with the intention of educating people around sustainability. And whether that's film, media, discussions that you have, projects, environmental projects that you get involved in during your adventure. And the reason why I created this thing called the eco-adventure was because I wanted people to realize that yes we get we can get outdoors and we can enjoy the outdoors but you're just taking from the outdoors by doing that you're not giving back you know mountain bike trails for instance they tear up these uh, woodlands there is an environmental impact of doing outdoor recreation your flight to do everest and go to base camp for the millionth time you know those things are incredibly environmentally damaging and are not helping the world the world is in a climate crisis. You know, that's that's very clear for all to see now. There are issues everywhere around the world to do with climate 
there's plastic microplastic at the top of everest there's microplastic potentially in antarctica we're going to find out soon in the south pole one of my friends is doing an expedition there and doing microplastic um sampling so if he finds microplastics there we can we can say it's there as well but there's seriously a, a, a global issue and we've still got quite a lot of people gallivanting all over the world to do these ego mountains climbs and stuff like this and it's yes it's great i mean it's a challenge i get it everest is a huge challenge akawanga in south america is a huge challenge but there's equally challenges you could do in your home country without having to have all these carbon emissions or leaving or some people have to leave their rubbish on on these challenges because they can't get it back not sure why because they took it there um <laughs> and I, I i basically advocate for closer to home challenges or adventures or at least if you're going to go abroad carbon offset and try and make a positive impact in where you're going try and give back more than you're taking so that's that's what the eco adventure is about and that's what i've been trying to advocate for the last few years i started a business about it actually which is delivering eco adventures for other businesses and people who want to get connected with nature but also give back to nature so i create mini eco adventures around the uk and that's uh, climate explorers yeah community interest company so the profits go back into the course and just makes it bigger and better and how's the reaction been speaking out about this so very early on episode two i think i had damien hall on who's written a book about the environmental impact of running and he's been such a great advocate for highlighting the environmental impact but he's also called out as a hypocrite for every little thing that he does and we talked about how he coped with that and i'm just wondering like none of us are perfect we can't be perfect we need to let go of that in terms of our impact there's certainly things that we can do and put pressure on the governments and billionaires to do. And so I just wondered, how has it been received? Have you had any backlash from that? Do you feel that you're held to higher standards than other adventurers for this? Or other um, environmental activists, I guess? N- not really. No, I, I, it's been welcomed. Um, oh, that's good. I've never had, yeah, I've never really had any negativity around doing this. Um, okay, so it's just me that it? called you. <laughs> well yeah no, no, it's a good question it's a good it is a good question because people might be you know scared that if i start advocating in this way i'm gonna go be put in this box you know the extinction rebellion box for instance mm. like i haven't really been put in that box and i've been basically open and honest to everyone i lived my way my life like this before i changed my life because of this reason and i'm going to continue living my life in this way because of that reason and I also am advocating for you to do that because I also want to see a a future and I'm sure you do too. And I think it's fair to say that we have been living in a world where what did the future generations ever do for us? That mindset. And I think time needs, we, we need to become leaders and change that mindset, revamp the society that we live in and think about how can we give something for our future generations rather than take away before they even got there. And like guys like Damien Hall, awesome. You know, I'm part of his Green Runners community. I think it's a fantastic initiative. And there's thing thing called sustainability leadership that's spoken a lot around in businesses and things like that. 
And the way I saw um, the eco adventures, that was my form of sustainability leadership. And a lot of people ask me about how can I make a difference? What can I do? What actions can I do? And I say, well, look at what you're good at. What's your kind of niche expertise? Now, can you make that more sustainable? Because I see every act of people doing stuff sustainably in their expertise as like tributaries and they're all flow into this big, mighty, great river of sustainable change. We, you know, we, we can't all be the experts of everything. And that's why I say in all my talks and also all the advocacy and the work I do, the eco adventures, I say, we're not the experts. Yeah. You know, I, I go on these eco adventures with clients. I take them to the, I'm not a tree surgeon. I don't, I've not done that before, but I'm here. I'm getting stuck in and I'm learning. We're not, as you say, we're not all perfect. Is that we're an imperfect society. But what we can do is try and make a difference and take an action. And that's what I try to install with everyone. I love that idea that if if we all do what we're good at, then we can form this big river of change. And because I wanted to ask you, as we've been talking about the things that you do that really help your mental health, I know that for me, I find climate anxiety is quite hard for personally at times. I And I, I wondered if, because you seem really well informed as well. And I wonder if the more you know, the higher the the level of anxiety that you could have around the climate. But actually, from what you said, it sounds that you're quite positive and optimistic about it. But is this something that you have to manage as part of your mental health? Um, yes, climate anxiety, I have had issues with in the past. Um, so I come from a geoscience background. So I studied four years of, of geology and natural processes and how the earth came about and you know resources and everything like that and sustainability is very embedded in that course and i learned quite a lot about how a lot of our biggest worries and a lot of our biggest issues are actually some of them are out of our control which is true from you know there's earth's natural processes there could be an asteroid at any point that we cannot stop that's going to hit us i get that there are these other views but then there is a lot that we can do and can control. And I found with climate anxiety, by focusing on what I can control and what I can do, helped. So, for instance, the government. We can talk about the government. We can blame the government. Oh, the government is uh, the reason why the climate crisis is so bad because they haven't done this policy and that policy. And that. The government is not the in charge of sustainability. It's the people within the government and then it's the people who vote for that government it's it's within people the government's not i see it as, as a brand that people kind of point at like, you're the problem and it's like no all of us are the problem all of us can be sustainable focus on what you can control and what you can't control will follow that's how i see it so i feel if everyone was making their world sustainable in what their area of expertise is which is their world if they all try to be a sustainability leader, eventually everyone will follow because it will come to a point where we all want change. We all want the same thing. The government would have to address that. The businesses will then you know, have to address that. So I, I think it starts with the people. And um, I think that that's where I, I'd like to go with that, with that answer. Oh, I like it. You're full of collaborations and teamwork. And I think that sometimes, particularly when I started this podcast, resilience I saw as quite a personal 
we have to work on this and I have to be strong. And actually, there's so much of your work is collaborative and and working with others. And it feels like you really believe that we're stronger together. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, well, it's the whole notion of mental health, isn't it? If you don't tell someone or open up, that's, you know, you're just suffering in silence alone and then eventually you, you can't handle it. But you can share the weight. You can, sh- you know, share share the loads. You can, and 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 together we can make so much more of an impact. I mean, if if if, uh, if it was all on one person, you wouldn't have businesses of 20, 30 people, would you? You wouldn't yeah. have governments full of five hundred people. You'd have just one person, right? So uh, it just shows you the power of um, teamwork, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. And what else have you got coming up? I can imagine an adventurer getting very there's so much pressure and I'm like what's next how are you going to beat all these challenges and you've only just finished <laughs> finished a world record at the weekend so have you got anything else coming up but I don't mean in challenges I just mean in your work and and other projects yeah I I, I definitely part of the my mental health journey has been giving myself something to do that gives me sort of a challenge that I can build a resilience and learn from and stuff like that so I've, I've always got something on the go that that's on purpose. Um, that is deliberate and that's what keeps me going and I enjoy it. If I didn't have anything, like people say to me, Isaac, do you ever just stop and don't do anything? And I say, if I stop and don't do anything, which I have done in the past, it will drive me insane. I will lose my mind. So why would I stop and do nothing if I know that's bad for me? And then they will say to me, well, you need to relax, mate. You need to relax. And I'm like, but I get my relaxation differently to how you begin your relaxation. I get mine through challenges and doing this great stuff. The process is what I enjoy. Sitting around doing nothing is not what I enjoy. And the next challenge um, next year is basically the eco-adventure business. So loads of little eco-adventures, but trying to instill that message across so many people far and wide and businesses all over the UK. That's that's what I'm focused on ne- next year. And um, after that, who knows? I, well, I have a few plans, obviously, but I think they're kind of sketches for now. I like that uh, that you're not just advocating that they have to be these physical endurance challenges, because obviously I used to do stuff like that and then I can't physically do it. And I think it's really inspiring that you're saying that it's not all about whether they're physical or not. That's just some of the things that you've chosen. But actually, we can build resilience and challenge ourselves and learn a lot about ourselves through just trying anything new or anything just out of our comfort zone. Yeah, I'm writing a book. So I, I, people maybe listening don't know I'm dyslexic. It's a nightmare. Um, I'm terrible at, at writing. And I, I'm going to be writing a book next year. And that's literally, I've already started writing it. But I'm going through the formal process, publication, all that stuff. But it's it's really challenging for me. <laughs> and what's the subject? But it's of the not book? even to do with endurance, is it? <laughs> no, well, it's a different type of endurance. <laughs> yeah, writing endurance. Um, yeah, <laughs> but so, you can yeah. set it and put it into manageable chunks. <laughs> yeah, do the whole resilience of the book. Um, <laughs> use all the tools and the process. Yeah, well, I think that's it. And and when I couldn't run anymore and I was very much like sulking and like well it meant nothing it was just running along a path anyway or running around in a circle but I've I've mellowed a little bit over the years and I see that there are things that I can get from my endurance and from those challenges that I can bring into other areas of my life and definitely when I was writing my book it was 
breaking it down, just this is my word count for the day. Don't worry about the big picture and got there in the end. So what Celebra- celebrating the uh, chapter milestones and successes. Yes. What's <laughs> making sure <laughs> what's the um subject of the book, are you allowed to say? Um yeah, so it, it will be around the eco adventure. I think Great. it's gonna be interesting to to be able to have something that people can read but also do. <laughs> so I think people are just interested in different concepts. I'll be diving into a lot more of the science behind it all and a lot more case studies. And I think it's going to be hopefully something very practical as well. And so, what what we what's the practical side of it that we're going to be able to plan these adventures that yeah, are sustainable? So, yeah. Yeah, plan plan sustainable adventuring, I think, is is the main main thing I want to get out of it. And I think there's a lot more that can be done and I've got lots of ideas and the the publisher I'm working with have got lots of ideas and at the moment we're just kind of like you know let's try and keep it concise but also let's not <laughs> so it's, we're in a so it's an small, absolutely big, small, huge big, topic that you're trying yeah. to put in a book <laughs> yeah yeah well, well but that's that's the stage I'm at in small big mode where yeah. it's like oh it's big and now it's going to cut it down now we're going to go bigger again so eventually we're going to meet somewhere um and then we'll be fine <laughs> Oh, good luck with that. It sounds a really important book. And so well done for for all the work you've done on that. And thank you so much for coming and talking about resilience today. I found it so interesting talking to you and really inspiring. Great. Yeah, thank you very much, Jen. It's a pleasure to meet you and hear your stories around resilience too. Thank and uh, yeah, hopefully um, someone took something from today's court chat. And uh, please do message if it works. If you heard anything from the chat, message me and say that was good. Because I'm always asking for feedback on that. And what's the um the best way that people can message you? Or um, was that just for yeah, me? I'm all over socials, <laughs> social media. Um, Isaac Kenyon, I S W A C, um, Kenyon, and and uh, I've got a website, IsaacKenyon.com, and you'll find emails and and things on there. But, yeah, and we can follow your moustache and its adventures. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So the moustache is uh, hopefully going to be growing out soon. <laughs> uh, my part, my partner is not a fan of this one, so um, we're, yeah, we're going to grow this out. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I'll put all those links in the show notes. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.